Welcome to Montrose Podcast, the official podcast of Montrose School here in Medfield, Massachusetts, where girls are called to greatness. I'm your host, Mary Cahill Farella, and I'm very happy that you can join us. Maybe you're an avid supporter of Montrose, a current parent or a friend of the school, or maybe you're new to Montrose, an independent school for girls in grades 6 through 12, inspired by the teachings of the Catholic Church. Here, young women achieve academic excellence in a rich liberal arts environment by developing enduring habits of mind, heart, and character. Thanks for joining us as we explore topics that highlight the impact of a Montrose education and how it affects the world around us. In this digital age, there's so much stimulation that it's hard sometimes to just stop and think about the sheer volume of media that we take in on a daily basis. Luckily, here at Montrose, Barbara Whitlock's AP Language and Composition class has provided us with an opportunity to do just that. As part of NPR's podcast challenge, Mrs. Whitlock's 11th graders set out to create their very own podcast episode. First, you'll hear a few reflections on their process, followed by their final product called Firewalls to Connection. Then we'll wrap up with their takeaways about having accepted this formidable challenge. Celia, I want you to talk about how you came up with your idea and how reluctant you were to insist on it. Um, Well, I was, so the title that I came up with was Firewalls to Conversation at first, I think I said. Um, And so I was thinking just like the technology and then the conversation part of it, but I really didn't want to say it out loud because I was afraid that it would actually end up being the title. (laughs) And then it did, so, (laughs) but, um, so I was just kind of saying to Anna, no, you can say it, you can take credit for the title because I don't want it to be mine. Um. And then eventually she got me to say it out loud, so I eventually told Mrs. Whitlock, and then it ended up being the title after we kind of collaborated more and thought through what we wanted it to be. Um, but it was really cool that even though I really didn't want to say it, we kind of worked through and everyone was really encouraging and got that to be like what we wanted it to be, and we wanted to make sure that it was really what we were trying to say throughout the whole podcast, because it's just a small like few words that we were using to show the whole podcast. In terms of the source materials you used, how did you get the right to use those in your podcast? Um, well, our teacher took a giant step forward um, because we couldn't submit it without the rights, right? And we already put the work in. So she emailed him at, um, she emailed Nicholas Carr, who wrote The Shallows, which is about the myth of multitasking, at, um, at 1026. And he responded at 10.27 a.m. Yes, you got my permission. Thanks, Nick. So I think it was great just getting on a first-name basis with him, but he's really not as daunting as like an author would be, we think. And it shows you one of the positives of our digital age, yes. that within one minute you can get an answer. And we recorded our section for the first time, and it was horrible. <laughs> and then we did it a few more times, and we had everyone leave the room. We were walking around, and we just kind of learned how to become comfortable. And the change that we could hear like after four times was so much different than the first time. And I think it's just, like we're probably most proud of learning to become comfortable in such like an awkward environment or something we've never done before. Hi, Siri. Hello, my favorite person in the whole wide world. Tell me a joke. A grasshopper walks into a bar. The bartender says, hey, we have a drink named after you. The grasshopper (laughs) says, you have a drink named Jeff. That was a good one.
It's kind Whatever of Whatever I can sometimes. do to help. Siri, I love you. All you need is love and your iPhone. Campbell's relationship with her technology, specifically Siri, may be relatable for you or it may be completely absurd, but it does raise an important question. How is our relationship with any technology affecting us socially and cognitively? Today, we're going to combine excerpts from The Shallows by Nicholas Carr and Reclaiming Conversation by Sherry Turkle, read as the author portrayed by actors, with testimonies, personal stories, and scenarios from our own lives as 21st century teenagers to try and answer that question. We represent the most talked about generation when it comes to technology or social media. But what we're about to tell you is, if we're not careful, it might not be the best thing. Now, we're all aware of the joys of technology and how much it can help us in our everyday lives, but I'm also almost positive that you'll be able to relate to at least one of these scenarios. Take multitasking, for example. In an increasingly busy culture, multitasking has become familiar to all of us. How many times has something like this happened to you? Maria, you can't concentrate while watching Netflix and doing your homework. Yes, I can, Mom. It helps me focus. But does it really? Leading research shows that multitasking may not be as beneficial as it seems. Both Nicholas Carr and Sherry Turkle address this issue in their books. Sophie, is there anything in particular about these two authors' research that you found eye-opening? So, it's funny that you mentioned that, Emily, because in today's culture, multitasking is kind of a glorified art for us. We all think that it's really valuable when actually it's impeding our ability to digest information properly and even to converse properly. So, when we multitask and we're focusing on, t- on a ton of different things, we can't actually learn properly. And similarly, when we are conversing with others and we're interested in focusing on a ton of little things, it's hard for us to converse deeply and to have those meaningful conversations that are so central to our lives. That's a really good point, Sophie. Scientific evidence suggests that we need to focus deeply in order to learn and to help our brains grow. Technology encourages skimming, which is the opposite of deep attention. Mr. Carr, would you care to explain specifically how technological multitasking affects our brain? Many studies have shown that switching between two tasks can add substantially to our cognitive load, impeding our thinking and increasing the likelihood that we'll overlook or misinterpret important information. Every time we shift our attention, our brain has to reorient itself, further taxing our mental resources. Thank you, Mr. Carr. And extending from that, Sophie also made a good point a while back that technology is affecting our conversations and how we socially interact with people, kind of in the same ways that it's affecting us cognitively. Because of technology, we don't really have the mental capacity or desire to carry on a deep and meaningful conversation. We wanted to open this up to a panel to see if anyone really experiences this movement away from authentic conversation because of technology. So how would you say technology affects your relationships with others and even yourselves? Well, I'd say that that whole concept of double identity is something that we all fall guilty of, especially today, where people just put out this sort of fake image of themselves through what they post, especially on social media, because they want people to believe that their lives are more interesting than they actually are, and they want people to think that they're having a lot more fun than they actually are having, and it just kind of creates a like a false self-image of themselves. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, I knew this girl who went to this birthday party and she told me that it was so boring but she posted a picture on Instagram and it looked like she had so much fun and you know the person texted me a few hours later and she said how she didn't have fun at all and it was all just a show for Instagram yeah and this can be a problem because when people constantly post and post and it's all lies 
people start to compare themselves, especially to social media stars who are always showing about how great their lives are, and this could lead to self-deprecating thoughts and maybe to some extent depression. Yeah, and people start to develop this thing called FOMO, which is fear of missing out. And like Mary said, people start feeling depressed and anxious because they maybe aren't they don't look like someone else does, or they aren't invited to something where their friends are at, and it makes them feel bad about themselves. Yeah, Courtney, I completely agree. Especially social media leading to, like, depression or self-doubt or anxiety or anything like that. Um, it's been, like, a big problem these days. And I also find myself, if I'm home alone on, like, a Friday or Saturday night, like, scrolling through my Instagram feed or checking Snapchat stories, and you see, like, all your friends out having fun. And you get all sad, and you're like, why wasn't I invited? Why can't I go out and have fun with them? But it just, it just causes this constant culture of comparing yourselves to other people, which leads to depression. That panel provided some really valuable insights, and Dr. Turkle's findings were almost identical to what they described. You develop self-doubt when you see friends having fun online, even if you know it's a performance. Being plugged in provides a sense of identity and our time alone becomes time with a managed crowd. This managed crowd that Dr. Turkle speaks of presents a whole new problem. As the use of social media and cell phones allows us to pick and choose who we communicate with at any given moment, we tend to lose sight of who's right in front of us. This fear of missing out that the panel spoke of carries more dangers than one. The pull of social media and technology at times may be so strong that we prioritize machines over people, like friends and family. Just as technology is affecting how we look at ourselves, it's affecting how we treat others. Take this scenario for example. Listen to Sophie and Selena's quote-unquote conversation and think of a time in your life when you didn't feel listened to because the other person was visibly distracted. Hey Selena, how was your weekend? Mm-hmm. Did you do anything fun? Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What kind of thing? Um, cool. Sounds interesting. Yeah, I mean, things at my house have been kind of hard because my dad's been away a lot. Good story. Yeah, my mom's been having to work really hard and um, I, we've been having to fill in for a lot of her work. Hmm? Oh, wait, 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 wait. Look at that post. It's so interesting. You gotta look at it. Oh. Yeah, that's cool. Did you hear anything I was saying? Uh, uh, yeah? Awkward, I know. While this scenario may be a bit of an exaggeration, most people have half conversations like this every day, constantly being interrupted by technology. And even when it goes undetected, it's putting real strain on friendships. Now, most people in the technological age wouldn't have the courage to call their friends out for phone use like Sophie did. So people are spending most of their days either being half-listened to or half-listening to their friends. Sadly, the same has become true in family relationships. Usually the focus of the debate about the digital age is teenagers, but many teens and children actually find that their parents are equally affected by the allure of technology. Dr. Turkle, has this come up in your research? It's true, yes. We see children learning that no matter what they do, they will not win adults away from technology. We see children deprived not only of words, but of adults who will not look them in the eye. Children recognise a commitment to conversation, and they see it as a commitment to family and to them. I think this can make the difference between children who struggle to express themselves and those who are fluent, between children who can reach out and form friendships and those who may find it hard to find their friends. 
Those are some really good points, Dr. Turkle. And often in family relationships, there's a bit of hypocrisy in technology use. Today, we have two students in to share how technology has affected their families. So my mom always complains about me being on my phone constantly. But one day when we were both sitting on the couch, we were checking our screen times for the week. And my screen time was 32 minutes. And I thought, wow, that's really great. I've been definitely improving trying to use my phone less. But just out of curiosity, I went over to my mom and found her screen time average. And I found these appalling numbers, four hours and 50 minutes. And... I just thought it was such a conundrum how my mom would keep telling me to stop using my phone when in reality she had more hours on her phone than I did. Hey, me too, actually. Um, I A lot of times my mom will come over to me, especially on the weekends, and she'll say things like, oh, you've been on your phone so much today. Like every single time I see you, you're on your phone. You should not be on your phone so much. And yeah, I do admit that I'm on my phone fairly often, but I find it kind of ironic that oftentimes when I'm trying to have a conversation with her, usually about something fairly important, like what I'm doing for the day or if I need to pick up my siblings from school, her phone will be sitting next to her and it will ding and she'll pick it up and say, oh, I need to respond to this. Or she'll be doing writing an email or something like that. And I have to like pull the phone away from her and say, mom, like look at me in the eyes. I'm trying to tell you something really important. Today we've explored, with the help of some experts, how technology, while helpful in many ways, has changed how we think and interact. We've heard how it compromises our focus, weakens our self-confidence, and destabilizes our friendships and families in big ways or in small. What we're saying here is not that technology is evil or should be done away with. We're saying that the virtual worlds technology allows for cannot replace this one. Technology has brought us so far in accomplishing tasks, but it makes us believe wrongly that we can be in infinite places at once without sacrifice. So next time your phone dings while you're working or talking to someone, think of that sacrifice. Bye, Siri. Okay, nice talking with you. Now, some takeaways from Mrs. Whitlock and her AP Language and Composition class about what they were most daunted by in taking on this challenge, what they learned, and what they're most proud of when they reflect on the process of creating their very own podcast episode. So I think um, two factors in this podcast are the most important from my perspective as the teacher. One was, this is a group that has a lot of leaders in it. And you saw the combination at first of discomfort to be vulnerable and take charge. But then you saw the opposite pull. I have really good ideas and I want to make sure this is done well. <laughs> and ultimately, the way natural and leadership emerged from a collaborative group that everyone supported, were grateful to Emily for using the strength of her voice and her, you know, she has an ease of speaking and presenting, and even though she became the primary voice that links the podcast, everyone was grateful for that leadership. It emerged out of the support of the group, not in opposition to the group, and I think that is just a plus plus. It shows how leadership emerges. The same with Celia's idea for the title. It just emerged naturally with support and encouragement, um, and I think that's how leadership gets developed in kids of all temperaments. Secondly, the learning value of the task, one of the challenges of the AP line is the synthesis essay. So the challenge of how to take a variety of sources 
and synthesize them into your own argument is a big challenge. And we did that in a big project. And what I notice is the bounce effect, not only from that and their research papers, but on their time grade for synthesis, I feel like they're putting parts together quicker into their own arguments because the process was empowering. They structured the thinking and the argument of the podcast, but they drew from lots of different sources and experience to do so. So it was just a great learning experience too. Well, I think the most daunting part about it was, sorry, um, was just starting it and trying to figure out what ideas we were going to use in the book because we all we all had so many different ideas and so many so many pieces of evidence and a bunch of experiences that we wanted to incorporate into the piece. Um, so I think narrowing down those ideas into a ten minute podcast was like a difficult thing to do. So I think as a class, we kind of all learned this that. Um, you kind of have to trust everybody else that they know what they're doing um, because <laughs> we did it like a divide and conquer. We each had like some subsections and for the majority of us, like we had no idea what was going on except with our section. And so I think just like kind of learning to trust your classmates and like their opinions and like knowing that it will come out whole in the end was really a good learning process. Well, I would like to say that I'm very proud of Emily. She was the person who both did like all the in-between talking and also like actually put it together technology-wise. And she did a really good job of making it cohesive and adding all those little elements that kind of stuck it together. And when I heard the whole podcast, like the thing that stuck out to me was how like calm she was and how funny and how well she had like, and how insightful and how well she had put it all together. So. We want to extend a very special thanks to both Nicholas Carr and Sherry Turkle for granting our students the rights to use their primary source materials in the making of this project. Please visit MontroseSchool.org and click on Montrose Podcast at the top to find links to these authors' books on conversation in the digital age. I'm your host, Mary Cahill Farella, and I'm glad you could join us for this episode of Montrose Podcast featuring Barbara Whitlock's 11th grade AP Language and Composition class. Until next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Montrose Podcast. Please subscribe so that you'll be the first to know about future episodes and share the podcast with your friends and family. Donations to Montrose Podcast go directly to tuition assistance, a critical part of our mission to keep Montrose education accessible. Your gift plants the seeds of lifelong Montrose friendships and ensures that each Montrose graduate takes with her a life compass to navigate the challenges beyond Montrose and seize opportunities to shape our changing world. Thank you.